13 is a brand founded for the creators, the innovators, and the motivators. For the people who get up every single day and strive to be better and leave a positive mark on this world. 13 is a fantastic clothing company and the people that are behind it are passionate, creative, and some of the nicest people I have ever met. All of their stuff looks great, it's comfy, all the designs are so, so super cool. 13 has some of my favorite t-shirts and seriously, my favorite pair of sweatpants I have ever worn. 13 has been a longtime sponsor and supporter of the Corey cast and they wanted to extend their love to you, the listener. So when you check out their website at thur 13 en.com fill your cart with some cool hats hoodies sweatpants just make sure you use the code word corycast at checkout and you're going to save yourself a little bit of money thur13en.com make sure you tell them cory sent you Today's guest is my friend, Holly Lowry Davis, and she is the COO of Ophelia's Place, which is a center that focuses on helping people who are struggling with eating disorders by providing free virtual online resources to free support phone calls to virtual in-person meetings. They can really help you overcome your eating disorder. Ophelia's Place is doing a great service to Syracuse because there's not many eating disorder places here in Syracuse that are a source of good information, knowledge, support, and and overall just help to people who are struggling with a eating disorder. I've been very fortunate in my life. I've never known anybody or directly dealt with somebody who had an eating disorder in my life in this conversation was really eye-opening for me and uh, really, really enlightening because it really hits home that there's a lot of people that are struggling out there with their relationship with food. And if you are listening to this intro, this podcast, and think you might be on the fence, this is a fantastic resource that you should take advantage of. Holly and her team are committed to helping anybody overcome their relationship with food. Holly and Ophelia's place is also tied to Cafe 407 here in the village of Liverpool and they are actually a way to help raise money for Ophelia's place. Holly said that prior to COVID 30% of the revenue came from Cafe 407 which is really interesting and the other 70% of the money that Ophelia gets actually comes from donations and people who are listening. So if you want to support Holly, you want to make a donation, or maybe you're struggling with an eating disorder and you need help, you can go to opheliasplace.org, and I'll put the links in the show description below, and you can reach out to them and get the help that you need. Anyways, here is a great conversation with a wonderful human being who's doing Syracuse a great service, Holly Lowry Davis. My name is Holly Lowry Davis. I'm from Syracuse, New York. Um, I am the chief operating officer for Ophelia's Place. And um, Ophelia's Place is intimately connected with Cafe at 407. So I have um, my, I straddle both worlds, the nonprofit side and the cafe side. Um, Yeah. Did I cover it? Yeah. No, it was great. And like, how did you get involved with Ophelia's Place? Oh, putting me back to the beginning. Um, so I think it was like 2017. I was working in a different industry altogether, um, realizing I wanted to do some like one-to-one work with people who struggle with eating disorders because that was part of my own experience. Um, and so really just started doing that in a coaching capacity. I had a coaching certificate, but I wasn't ready to go back to school in terms of like pursuing therapy, higher education, that kind of thing. 
Um, and so I started connecting with Ophelia's place because they were, they had more like, um, education opportunities pop up that they needed people to speak at, um, present at different colleges and things in the area. So I kind of slowly just started partnering with them on those events. And then, um, that evolved over time to being more connected and involved with like all of the day-to-day operations. Were you expecting like all the different facets to this job when you got into it i mean no (laughs) yeah right how could you right yeah yeah no i mean i think i was excited to partner with an organization who had history and community ties um and it's just been a really natural evolution right well and i had recently learned that it was ophelia's place first then Cafe 407 as an idea to fundraise a little bit more? Correct. Yeah. Wow. So Philly's Place was founded in 2002 um, by Mary Ellen Clausen. And really it was in response to her own family's need and situation. Her daughters were struggling with eating disorders and mental health overall. Um, and there really wasn't a lot here locally in Syracuse or like just CNY in general um, in terms of like, you know, support groups, places to go with like people who understood and to talk through what's available and other resources and even treatment. Um, those resources were really sparse. Um, and so it kind of started there and was really this grassroots effort and the need in the community was pretty obvious from the start um, in terms of like people responding to the call that Mary Ellen had put out, like, hey, is anyone else struggling with this? Um, And so that's kind of where it started. And then in 2009, the cafe was established as a way to try and support some of the organization's budget a little bit more sustainably. So all of the profits from the cafe, um, you know, after we pay all the bills and pay our team and all of that, go back to the nonprofit. Wow. It's it's interesting to hear creating a business to supplement more fundraising for a nonprofit. I feel like I haven't heard of that before, but maybe it's subconscious. Maybe like, I didn't know that a company was already doing that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a thing. It's called a social enterprise, but it isn't really like a well-known thing unless you're in the nonprofit world. Um, you know, it's, it's a concept that our founder is really passionate about and actually she's trying to write a book, right? Well, she is writing a book right now. I shouldn't say trying, um, to kind of speak to the model a little bit more. Um, just because it is, it's it's not just a fundraiser; it's a community builder. So it really is part of, um, you know, part of our values is that like we do help fill a need in the community, but the community, like we're here for the community, so the community has to also support us to be able to do that, right? Um, and and we believe that like all of our actions matter, and little by little, when we kind of pool those those efforts that's where change happens. So the cafe is a really lovely way to kind of invite the community into being part of that work. Even if it's like, I support this cafe by buying a cup of coffee a few times a week. And then those funds go back to, you know, supporting people who are um, on the front lines in the mental health field, supporting people struggling. Right. So it's kind of a ripple effect. That's really cool, really impressive and a really like ingenious way to find a way to support your, your nonprofit in Ophelia's place. Is it only, uh, help people with eating disorders? Is that the main focus? That's our main focus. Um, the thing with eating disorders though, is there's a ton of crossover. So I think it's like 94% of people who struggle with eating disorders also struggle with depression, anxiety, substance use, obsessive compulsive, suicidal ideation. So there's so much crossover between all of those mental health issues. Um, that you know we see kind of two things like one people identify that they are struggling with food and and maybe have disordered eating or eating disorder they call us and then slowly over time as they get connected to resources realize that there are all these i shouldn't say all but there may be other some um mental health issues going on that they weren't aware of that are also fueling the eating disorder wow and then the opposite right where somebody's maybe struggling with depression or anxiety, not realizing that they're also malnourished. And when the body's malnourished, our brain's not functioning properly. And then that can fuel the eating disorder too. So we, we definitely see both sides and um, we're trying to shift more and more to the language of like, we're working to fill the gaps in mental health because I, I think a lot of people don't identify with having an eating disorder, but 
like many, many people do and just don't realize it, but they may identify that maybe they struggle with anxiety, depression, um, or some of those other issues I mentioned. So, wow. That's, I never thought of that before, how it's probably correlating to other things that are going on, anxiety. And it's something that, uh, I've been very fortunate where I haven't had to directly deal with it in my life. So it's one thing that I don't, it's like, you know, out of sight, out of mind, you know, mm -hmm. so you don't have to stress about it. But when like someone comes to you who is struggling with an eating disorder, uh, what is the first steps that you guys take? Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to depend on where they're at and what they're looking for. Our first goal is always to like meet the person where they're at and, and just kind of take a pulse on like what their experience is, what they're looking for, um, what they've tried so far. So a um, couple options, they can reach out via our website or phone. Um, we provide one-to-one -one consults for people who are just sort of like, I'm struggling and I don't know what to do. Um, you know, Ophelia's Place was started kind of like pre-Google or at least pre people having like everybody having access to Google. 2002, um, right? Right. And so, you know, obviously now you can go online and type in eating disorder support near me. And that's great. But a lot of people aren't even sure like, okay, that populates this huge list. Like now what, right? It's really overwhelming and can be really scary. Um, you know, eating disorders are a coping skill. And so when we're struggling and we're, you know, working through stressful situations or trauma or whatever pain, and we are using an eating disorder to cope with that, it's gonna be really scary to try and like find resources to stop doing that. And then of course you have like social anxiety and the fear of like, what would treatment look like and all of that. So we really are here to kind of help support people through that initial process of finding the resources that are right for them. Um, sometimes that means we connect them to medical providers, treatment facilities. Sometimes that means we help them find alternative community resources, um, like harm reduction tools and peer-to-peer um, -peer support groups. Um, sometimes it's just answering questions, getting them connected to therapy. So it really just depends on what they're, what, where they're at and what they need. Do you think that in this day and age, people are more educated about like uh, just themselves overall, their body's needs, their mental needs than maybe in the past years before? I mean, I, I'd like to think so. I also feel like sometimes I'm in a bubble in the work that I do. Yeah, <laughs> so, right, right. So I probably surround myself with people who are like kind of awake to their experience. But I mean, I do think, yes, overall, like as a collective, we're, we're more conscious than, you know, maybe two, three, four decades ago, um, just because it's it's more normalized now to like be doing self-work, um, to be in therapy, to be more reflective and um, like engaged in personal growth. So yeah, I, I do think that's slowly shifting for sure. Yeah, they. I had a, uh, uh, my friend Alicia, she's a, a therapist and she had mentioned that now more than ever, more people are are looking for help because of, you know, the self-care movement that's happened, uh, I don't know, past couple of years, I mm -hmm. guess, where more people are open to talking to a therapist and, and more open on, you know, spending the money to, to help themselves where I don't think my, my parents' generation would never have done that. It was like a, yeah. it was like a, sh uh, a sin, a sh mm -hmm. shameful thing to go to therapy. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of stigma around around struggling with your mental health. Yeah. And what do you think you would say to somebody who maybe is struggling and doesn't know uh, where to get help or where to start? Mm. Oh, such a good question and a big one. I think first is like know that your experience is valid and that you got here honestly. And what I mean by that is that like we all are faced with varying circumstances and experiences over life that like we may or may not have control over, right? Especially when we're younger. Um, and our nervous system and our body's number one job is to keep us safe and to survive those experiences. And even though you might think back and like, well, I was never in like a seriously unsafe situation, sometimes our nervous systems perceive situations in our childhood as unsafe. And so when we're struggling with mental health, um, a lot of times we might um, the, we might be kind of dealing with the aftermath of the nervous system and the body 
basically like trying to to protect us. Um, and so I think a lot of times there there is that shame and stigma around struggling with your mental health. And there's this tendency to like blame ourselves, to feel a lot of guilt, um, to kind of hide it because it feels too shameful to share or to like seek support around. Um, and so I think what I want people to know is that like you and your nervous system and your body have been doing the absolute best to, to be alive and to stay here. And and you don't have to do that alone anymore um, and that it's we're actually not supposed to heal and grow by ourselves we're like literally human like we're designed to do that in community with others do you guys have like like group meetings together yeah yeah we have um support groups we offer three support groups in-house every week um and we also on our website have a list that we have sort of curated from other organizations in the field um so we don't host those but those are other trusted organizations who host support groups every week as well most of them are free oh wow i because i imagine like i never thought of a support group for an eating disorder i've always thought of them as like you know for aa meetings never for for somebody who needs a mental uh, needs of mental health needs mm -hmm. with uh, each person. Do you see kind of a, a common thread between them where maybe it's a lot of self doubt or maybe a vast majority of the clients that you're seeing are eating too much or not enough mm -hmm. or is there a common thread? There's a few common threads for sure. Um, so usually with eating disorders at the root is restriction in some capacity. Um, so even for somebody who's struggling with binge eating disorder or like emotional eating, usually there's a component of restriction at play, meaning like there's this idea that I shouldn't be eating X, Y, and Z or shouldn't be eating this much of something. And even that sort of like idea and like um, expectation we're holding and like mentally can influence our behavior with food and create a sense of scarcity. Um, so restriction for sure, even like through the different types of eating disorders, restriction is usually a common thread. Um, and then for sure, I think there's, i try and put this in a way that's like kind of distilled down and like not jargony. Um, <laughs> it's hard, right? Especially when you're in the world, you know? Right. Yeah. I think the, the thread I'm, I'm thinking of is like, right again, eating disorders are coping skills. Um, and so whether you're super fixated on the type of food you're eating or you're counting calories all the time, or you're constantly checking your weight, or you are binging and then purging in some capacity, or even just you are binging and not purging, like all of those behaviors are a way that your nervous system, your brain and your body are trying to cope with something right? Whether that's like, I'm lonely. I don't feel seen by the people that I love. I don't feel like I have people who love me back. Um, I literally don't have my physiological needs met. I'm in an abusive relationship, like any of these things. Um, we can use eating disorders skills or, to, or symptoms to cope, right? And so um, a lot of times the thread is like, like people may not be realizing that they have been trying to cope with something. And so helping them figure out like, what is that? What needs are there under the surface um, that they need to be supported in? And then how do we help them build like more sustainable coping skills? Cause eating disorder behaviors or symptoms help us feel better temporarily. And in that way, like they are serving a purpose, right? And so right. how else could we get those needs met though that like doesn't cause as much harm um, and that will be more sustainable in the long term? And you said uh, earlier, somebody might not be aware that maybe of their experiences and maybe they don't even know that they have an eating disorder. Are there any signs or symptoms that somebody listening might be able to help identify? So many. Um, so many, right? There has to be. Yeah. Especially because it's not just like, it's not just one type of person who's not eating food. Because mm -hmm. then there's another person who's eating a lot of food, not happy with their body, maybe has a bad relationship with their, with their spouse or significant other. So I would imagine it's probably hard to identify because each, each person is so much different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent, each person's so much different. Um, those, 
those eating disorder symptoms are going to look different depending on just like what that person's you know, what that person's experience has been and how they've used those symptoms. Um, but for sure, like a preoccupation with food, calories, counting carbs, being on a particular diet, avoiding certain food groups, like all of that's a big red flag. Um, anytime somebody's like uh, has a relationship with exercise that is really like that there's maybe a lot of guilt around like, oh, I didn't get to the gym or I didn't get my extra, my, you know, workout in today or um, using exercise to like make up for eating something. That's called what we call a compensatory behavior. So you're compensating for food that you consumed. Oh, wow. um, and technically that's a considered a purging behavior. So, um, but right as I'm saying these things, you may be thinking like, those are pretty like normal things that are like people do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so that's the struggle is like, in the culture we live in, it's been very normalized to be like on a diet or to use exercise to try and lose weight or change your body. Um, but dieting is like literally the number one cause of eating disorders. So, really? and I think it's one in four people who diet will end up developing a clinical eating disorder. Uh, so the statistics are high, yet we don't like as a, as a culture, we don't really realize the connection there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think anytime there's like this preoccupation with food, weight, calories, health, um, you know, we live in a, an era where like health and wellness is really prized. And in some ways, that's great that we all have access to like more tools to help ourselves feel better. But a lot of times the recommendations that are being given as quote healthy are actually disordered and like not rooted in real science. They're rooted in like really shaky um what would be like an example science. can you think of something so, like keto for example right um somebody like doing the keto diet thinking uh, this is going to help me be healthier and lose weight um but the reality is the only data that is like back currently backing the keto diet is for people with epilepsy and to use that oh. to control their seizure occurrences. So yet, like there's so many people who are really terrified of carbs and like um, thinking that keto is making them healthier. And in, and in many cases, we actually see the aftermath of that with people struggling with um, blood sugar and struggling with um, like energy levels in general, brain function, because when the brain's not getting enough carbohydrates, like it stops producing serotonin and dopamine at the same level that it should that it would otherwise and um so yeah that's one example i think that like people probably aren't aware of yeah i didn't i didn't mean to uh interrupt you i was just trying to think of no, what would be an example off the top of my head for only sure. because i it's 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 wild to me because you have such a broad spectrum when we talk about eating disorder because you have on one side of the coin where someone doesn't eat anything maybe is uh uh, you had said uh, instead of like uh, getting rid of the subs, like get, like throwing up constantly, and then you have like somebody on the other end who's just like eating all the time and is ashamed of of their body. That's two vastly different people and types of. You people say that, but actually, that's not. Um, and they I have, think that they have the same core rooted problem, right? Many times, yeah, and and. In most cases, even if somebody's in a really small body, um, there's still a lot of body shame and body um, image issues that are fueling that behavior, that, you know, the eating disorder. Um, and for sure, when somebody's in a larger body, they have this added layer of facing systemic shame and oppression because our culture shame stigmatizes, discriminates against fat people. and. Um, so like, there's also that added pressure that they're feeling of like, I literally am not valued in the same way that someone in a smaller body is when I walk out the door in the morning. Um, and so that adds this, this other really big layer to how do I cope with that? You know? Right. And it's, that's gotta be hard for a lot of people, especially who might be trying to do this on their own with, with no help, you know? Yeah. Um, do you think that, uh, a vast majority of the people that come to you are are able to be on the track more comfortable with their bodies in say six months or is this like a lifetime thing where like 
I think it's like practicing. I don't know what the like data behind, like, I don't know the validity of the data behind this, but I had read somewhere that I think that's an average of seven years is like a recovery time. But even when we kind of break that down, like the word recovery is, I think sometimes it implies that there's like a finish line that we get to cross. Um, But right, coming back to this idea that eating disorders are coping skill, but we're always going to have something to cope with, whether that's a loss or, um, you know, losing our jobs or splitting up from a partner or we didn't, you know, like there's always something that we're going to feel upset about or feel, you know, uncomfortable by, you know. So when we think about it from that lens, um, sometimes, especially if we experience something really stressful or traumatic, um, the eating disorder symptoms might pop up again, even if you've been free of them for years. Um, and we do see that. Absolutely. Um, I think especially because when we look at like clinical treatment options and treatment programs, um, the, the relapse rate is very high. Um, so somebody might, you know, have all the quote unquote, like best medical treatment for their eating disorder. Um, and yet, they still may be back within two years time. And so I think one, it's important for people to know that recovery is a sort of messy path. That doesn't mean you shouldn't take it. Um, And two, like it is going to, it's a practice. It's an everyday practice of figuring out what are my needs? How do I get those needs met? How can I lean in for support? how can I help my body and nervous system re-regulate and know that it's okay to like take up space and to be here and to use my voice and to set boundaries and all of those things. Yeah. I, I constantly say that a lot of things in this world are like a practice, right? It's like the first time you do something is always terrible, right? The first time that you identify having an eating disorder, that's, that's probably really hard to deal with. Right. It's just like, stepping into a gym and learning your jab cross for the first time. It's difficult, maybe not as difficult as an eating disorder, but the correlation is there. If you show up every day and you try to work on yourself a little bit more and more, you'll, you'll be able to fight it. You'll be able to throw your jab cross a little bit better. And are there different like routines and things that you do that are maybe like a daily practice that, that helps people? Oof, great question. Um, again, this is going to be really individualized. And also like there are certain routines that I've had in the past that were great then. And like, I don't use now, but I have different routines now. Right. So it kind of depends on what you like, who you are, your like accessibility, um, and like the season of life you're in. But, um, I'm trying to think of like a specific recent, routine or like tool that I use. Um, For me lately, there's two things. One, and I say this first one with a big um, sort of like disclaimer or preface that took me a very long time to get to the point where this was okay for me. Um, As I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of crossover between exercise and eating disorders. And sometimes exercise isn't healthy, especially if someone's not getting enough fuel, they're malnourished, and then they're exercising, that's putting their body in in harm. So for a very long time, exercise was not something that I could engage with because it was, when I was struggling with my eating disorder, was something that I used to like try and manipulate my weight to punish my body because I felt like my body wasn't good enough. It was never something that I was able to engage in from the place of like, it feels good to move my body and that's why I'm doing it, period, right? I've come to a place now where like I can do that. And that feels awesome because movement can be really healing in terms of like helping our bodies release stress, helping our brains produce endorphins and some of those feel good hormones. Um, But it took me a decade to get there. (laughs) Um, So that's one, but again, with a big sort of disclaimer. And then the other thing, um, this is going to sound very woo woo, but here it is. Um, <laughs> no judgment. No judgment. Only so, here. Open um, there's the, there's these practices called deep imaginings that are part of this other group work that I do in terms of like, um, like healing and trauma, trauma resiliency and all of that. Um, and so they're kind of like a cross between meditation and um, 
um, uh, what's hypnosis, but you're not really hypnotized. You're just kind of dropping into the like theta state of the brain, which is to describe it for somebody who's never experienced that. It's sort of like when you wake up from a dream and you're like not really fully awake, but you're not dreaming, like you're still somewhat conscious. Kind of hazy. Yeah, you're kind of going to that place. Um, so those have been really supportive to try and access um, right. Like sometimes we might notice patterns within ourselves and for sure somebody with an eating disorder would notice this. Like I'm seeing myself like restricting food, even though I know logically that's not going to help me, but I can't stop. Right. Like we have these patterns of behavior that maybe we logically know aren't great for us and yet we still engage. And so um, those deep imaginings have been really helpful for me to kind of get to like why, <laughs> what is underneath that, that I can work on and that like needs me to pay more attention to. And then that helps, again, it's kind of nervous system work it, and like it helps tap into those things that maybe my logic brain couldn't figure out like what is that meant, what is that tied to? Is there an experience I had when I was younger that's kind of fueling that pattern? Um, how can I work to heal that so that I can like align my conscious logical thought with my actions, you know? So it's like that's that's while you're in your you're sitting crisscross applesauce in the living room <laughs> trying to trying to you're closing your eyes, you're taking a deep breath. I'm just thinking this like a meditative routine and you're you're imagining yourself and trying to identify the fact that you use eating as a coping mechanism or you're using exercise to to punish your body is that kind of the thought process behind it sort of yeah i mean it's it's again it's a little woo woo so you know no you don't you kind you of travel woo -woo. down the it's the not woo woo because this is very much this is just a mindfulness practice mm -hmm. right it's and mindfulness is not really woo woo. It's honestly the best practice that I have that's like professionally and personally, like in a real estate sense, I'm able to like take the time while I'm driving, like figure out what did I do wrong. I'm just you're taking a step back, looking at the situation, trying to identify what you did wrong, what you did good. And it's it's kind of the same. Sounds like it's a very similar, similar practice. It's similar. I think the thing I want to call out to invite people to, to try and drop into is like mindfulness. Yes. Right. But more than that, like mind body connection, because that's where we get stuck is when we have the like conscious, logical knowing of like, okay, this is what's going on. But then like, maybe like for me personally, it's, I, I think my thoughts, I don't feel them. <laughs> Yeah. without effort so like i have to slow down in order to be like okay what am i even feeling right now um where do i feel that in my body what is that what does that feel like how is my feeling like fueling my reaction to the situation um can i sit in that feeling and the discomfort of it and figure out what i need in that um and i think that's like that's a skill like that is a practice that's a hard skill especially like yeah. i know a lot of people spend a lot of time up here myself included it's harder to drop down into like what's actually happening in the body but the body holds a lot of wisdom if we're able to listen to it if you're able to listen to it which is tough but it's a practice mm -hmm. right it's something that you have to do every day to slowly get better at you know mm -hmm. yeah. what do you guys does ophelia's place have like a mission statement i think every 501c has one right yeah yeah do you want me to recite it <laughs> yeah i would love it yeah what is the mission statement? so we're dedicated to providing support access to treatment and community connection for anybody impacted by eating disorders diet culture and body oppression okay now another follow-up question i've always thought those people that go to the gym all the time and are like counting calories and are just like shredded to the neck in muscles and sinewy. Would you also count that as an eating disorder? Someone who's like, like consistently working on their body and is never happy with it. Or would it only become a, an eating disorder when it mentally af affects them in a negative capacity? Cause it's like, it's this hard line, right? Yeah. These are all great questions. I think the answer is going to come down to that, to two things. One, like you said, like, how is, how is that impacting somebody's life? And then like, what's their own experience in that? Yeah. Um, so something that 
one of our teachers, Gloria Lucas, often talks about is like, what are the risks at play here, right? Um, you know, somebody who's engaged in like bodybuilding, I would hope that like they're aware of the risks that are at play when you're, you know, I don't even know what goes into bodybuilding, but I know it's pretty extreme. (laughs) So, and there are definite risks, um, in terms of both mental and physical health when you're like cutting weight and like hyper-focused on eating certain things and not eating others. And there's definitely a lot of risks there, eating disorder behaviors and symptoms included. Um, and when, if, if we can help make people aware of the risks and then give them the resources to like assess the risks and whether they're willing to take those risks and like how much those risks may cost them or are costing them, then that's up to that person to decide like, do I want to keep doing these things or do I want to look for something different? Um, and really, I think that's what it comes down to when it's like, am I struggling? Or am I okay with these risks because like, I'm okay with it, you know? Um, And that's hard. And like many people in the eating disorder space might not love that answer (laughs) because right. Like we don't, of course we don't want to give permission to like, it's okay to have an eating disorder as long as you feel good about it. Like, no. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And like body autonomy is really important. Um, And I think it doesn't do any good to like say to somebody, you're exhibiting eating disorder symptoms and you need to do something about it, right? It just kind of adds on the shame and almost pushes people away. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, I've always always thought of that in my head that I'm like, man, I wonder if that dude that's like juiced to his neck and like constantly never happy with his body, I wonder if there is some underlining and not to say that the, like that's bad like that's that's what you're about like i'll go for it but like i feel like at at the point that it becomes a problem is it when you yourself are no longer happy or you recognize that that's a problem in your own body because i i know tons of people who work out and it's healthy for them you know and tons of people who are able to find that balance but that's when things get a little tricky huh It's tricky. Yeah. And I think, you know, the question is like, am I causing harm to myself and am I causing harm to others around me? So like a lot of times we'll, yeah, we'll have, um, either like individual younger individuals or their family members call looking for support saying like, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize my own, like a parent, for example, my own behavior around food and exercise has influenced my kid in this way. And now my kid's struggling with an eating disorder. And that's not to say the parent is at fault, but like we are models for our kids and also just like people around us. And so I do think there's a level of responsibility to kind of look at our behaviors and look at the impact of those. Um, Because it's one thing to say like, these are the risks I'm willing to take for myself. Um, are, am I okay taking these same risks for my partner, my kids, my loved ones? You know, that's a different question. Yeah. Wow. It's all, it's just another world. And it's also, this is a reason why I do the podcast is because I am now introduced to a world that I, I know zero things about. You know, I, I think I dated somebody in college who, had a really tough, a really weird relationship with, mm-hmm. with food. And I don't know if she knew it or, or what, but like, that's my only exposure. And that was for yeah. maybe six months when we were together, you know? So it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's a world that I know nothing about. And especially when it comes from cafe 407 is one of my favorite places to go. Not, not to like blow smoke up your ass, but also <laughs> I I'll take I, it. No, it's like, you guys have fantastic coffee, but I also really love the fact that it's like it's tied to something that has a, like a, a big impact on Central New York, just as as a whole. Because eating disorders is that's a tough line to walk. I can only only imagine. It makes me worried to have kids. Like I look <laughs> at Ashton, and then we have a, a girl on the way uh, in June, and it's like. Man, what a what a crazy world to be a parent right now. Mm. It's like walking the fine line, trying to be a good example for them. You know, it's uh it's an interesting world out there, that's for sure. And I'm yeah. I'm glad you guys are able to provide some type of service, you know. How many people are there working with you guys in Ophelia's place? 
like on our team or clients we serve? Yeah, on our on your team. So Ophelia's place is tiny. It's me, my boss, Holly. Her name is also Holly, but Holly with an I. Um, and then our my colleague here, Julia, who handles Hi, Julia. phone calls Hi. and um, <laughs> administrative stuff. And so that's OP, the three of us currently. Um, our founder did just retire at the end of the year. So prior to that, it was four. Uh, and then the cafe, we generally have somewhere between like five and seven employees just based on the season and you know. only five to seven. That's pretty crazy. I thought way more. Well, we're a tight, tight team. <laughs> well, yeah. And especially when you're running like a nonprofit, everything else is vastly, vastly different. We're actually Dennis, Mike and I, this is another reason why I wanted to join the podcast was because Mr. Segru. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mr. Segru. Yeah. Dennis. Uh, hey. <laughs> it's weird calling him Dennis, right? Hearing him, someone call him Dennis. I yeah, never had him as a teacher. Like, this chick? I taught her uh, AP something or other a decade ago. Exactly. He's going to he's gonna know the face, I think, before he knows the name. Just because of all the freaking kids he sees oh, on a year-to-year -year basis. It's such – I don't understand how he does it. But Dennis, Mike, and myself, we do uh, a thing called Dungeons and Donations, where the three of us play Dungeons & Dragons online. We raise money for well, various fundraisers. And – we have been debating with this idea of spending the money to, to get our nonprofit status only because to be able to, to go to a, a corporation or a company and be like, Hey, this is what we do. This is what we provide. Uh, can you make a donation is a lot harder when I'm like, Hey, you got to donate it to my PayPal. Mm -hmm. I don't, yeah. There's no, my name's Corey. You know, like it's just a way harder thing to do than, than a, a 501c and has that i guess you didn't really you didn't start the 501c right yeah no that was definitely something done before my time sorry the sun is like really tough oh, right no, you're fine. Um, <laughs> i don't want it to go away and uh yeah no that was way before my time um i do know there's a lot of paperwork involved um yeah, yeah. so we're toying with the idea of getting it uh, and then we also were talking because we do it twice a year. We do it in May and in November. November is locked in always the food bank because the food bank, fantastic group of people there and uh, have been a instrumental uh, in helping us with this thing every year. Uh, and then usually in May, we rotate the different charities. So this coming year, uh, Dennis, Mike and myself all agree that we want to do it for Ophelia's place. Aww, so we are going to play Dungeons and Dragons, as nerdy as that is, for uh, you know what group. our favorite thing, honestly, is when we get to see like the community kind of like tap into their passions to support this work. So like I couldn't love that more. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun because we like it's mostly about us getting the chance to play Dungeons and Dragons, but also just a really cool way to like feel like we're doing something for the community. Cause everything is community driven. Like it's, it's a, the CNY food bank. And then time after that was Vera house. And then we went back to the food bank and then uh, we did a poll for everybody to vote on social media and uh, Vera house won again. So we want to like switch up who, who we're helping, mm -hmm. but also in the fact, like kind of like keep it local. Cause that's, that's yeah. super important to us. Uh, and Ophelia's place, the more I learn about it, and the more that I find out that it's uh, more needed in Syracuse than, than ever. Like, you guys, are you guys swamped with people? <laughs> I mean, yes and no. Like, there's always work to do. And we've yeah. got a lot of, we got a great team and we've got a lot of systems in place to support that. Um, so, yeah, we're here. We're, we're here for it all. <laughs> Wow. It's, I, I can only imagine what it's like, how many clients are you dealing with? Say, I guess all together, like how many do you guys work with directly? Um, annually, it depends on like, so like the last few years we haven't been doing as much like in-person programming, like presentations and stuff because of COVID. Um, that's slowly shifting and we've been doing more online, but, um, it can range anywhere from like 6,000 to 11, 15,000, just depending on programming that year and staffing wow. and all that. Um, 
yeah, we serve a lot of people weekly through our support groups. Julia fills a lot of phone calls. Um, and then we do a lot in terms of like our digital education, you know, whether that's presentations, our courses, workshops, that kind of thing. And courses, workshops, who, who's putting on these, these events? You? Yeah, myself, Holly and I, or yeah, myself, Holly and I, usually Holly and I, um, we've had some educators in the past who've, who've done those, um, who sort of own those programs before, but currently it's just the three of us. So Julia kind of is behind the scenes support. Holly and I generally are more like the presenting sort of front lines. And how do you guys write and come up with, with the workshop and presentation? Is it you have like three set now that you've written ready to go that it's easier to adjust or are you always starting from scratch? Depends on the audience. Usually like, like for example, I did one um, last week or two weeks ago that was, um, God, I'm going to forget the name now. It doesn't really matter. Um, but it was like a group, oh, mental health stakeholders of CNY. Um, so there are like a lot of, um, providers, teachers, people in the area who um, work with youth mostly, um, who are invested in the mental health of that community. And so um, for things like that thing, you know, presentation, like last few months ago, I did a presentation to um, Upstate Hospital's psychiatric unit. Um, and so like, usually I have one presentation that I'll kind of take the core of and then adapt to fit the needs of that audience. Um, so that's like my general, you know, eating disorders overview, like, what does it look like? How, how do you identify? How do you support somebody? What are the resources available? Um, kind of that. And then beyond that, um, you know, we do like our, our course that we just launched is called Path to Repair. And that's really more focused on like individuals versus um, like people with influence, like doctors and whatever. Um, so that's really focused on helping individuals like work, like do this work that we're talking about. Yeah, look at you, the page. <laughs> Yeah, so that's we're really kind of going in there to like all of the foundations of some of what we talked about today, like looking at where do eating disorders come from? What is diet culture? How does that impact our relationship with food and body? Um, how do we start to resource ourselves to like work through that and build new skills? And yeah. And for this class, what is what can people expect when they take this class? Is this a Zoom session? Is this one on one? It's all self-paced and pre-recorded. Um, that being said, we're hosting a webinar like literally in an hour and a half. Um, oh wow! <laughs> to kind of like talk through some of the basics in the course, and also um, anybody on that call. Not that it's going to matter for people watching this back, but um, there will be some opportunities for one-to-one -one coaching, is what I'm saying. Um, but for the most part, it's all self-paced. There's five presentations that we've pre-recorded, like really looking at the foundations of this work. And then there's a series of, I think, eight plus interviews with experts in the fields that we work in, which are like eating disorders, health at every size, body liberation, um, uh, psychiatry, like all of that. Um, so the expert interviews, the presentations, there's a private Slack community where like people who are taking the course can connect and support one another, ask questions that in that space, you have access to our team for ongoing support or questions. Um, so yeah, it's really designed to kind of be a go at your own pace, but we're here along the way for structure support. There's also <laughs> worksheets and there's like somatic embodiment practices. Like we are talking about strengthening the mind body connection. And, and how long have you been doing this, uh, this program for? So this is, so back in 2018, we launched our original course. Um, and this is kind of like the second, this is like the 2.0 version. <laughs> so we just relaunched this new version. What was it? Mid-January, Julia? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's very new. Very, very new. Interesting. And how long did it take to to write this this course from start to finish? Oh, God. Oh, that's a very hard question because it's not something that like, you know, I mean, I wear many hats in, in my position and all of us do really. Um, so it's not something that like I sat down and wrote out, you know, yeah. and it was really a, a collective effort from the team. But I mean, it's been this new rendition has been in the works for the last year or so. 
Yeah. Yeah. Tons of, it's like something that you guys like pick up, work on for a little bit, put it down. It's, it's like kind of like a, like writing a book. Like it's something that you just do in one, one sitting. I would imagine I would get very, to be a little too much, you know? Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. So it's just this, uh, this course that can help people a little bit more too. Uh, different payment plans too, one-time payment or a six month payment plan, which is great that you guys are flexible with people. Yeah. Um, and we do offer scholarship options for folks who um, have marginalized identities. So anybody who maybe doesn't have access to the resources to take the course, you can just reach out and we'll, we'll get with you. Interesting. Now is people taking this course, are they mostly local or is it because you guys have now branched out so much? There's people from all over the U.S. doing it. People from all over. Yeah. I mean, I do think our base with the course still is primarily local, but um, in, again, this one's very new, but in the last course, like we had people from Nepal and the Netherlands and like people all over to get. All over, like Nepal? Mm-hmm. Yep. Really? Yeah. That's pretty, how do you guys get that, that reach? I mean, I'm making it sound like our reach is ginormous, <laughs> but you know, a lot of it is just like word of mouth. And we had done some programming, um, some other programming. And then this young woman, Mandira is her name. She had like kind of got wind of us through there and like ended up taking the course. And then she started doing almost like a train the trainer model with, um, youth populations in her community in Nepal. And, um, yeah, it's kind it's grassroots, you know? Wow. That's it's so cool that the age of technology, this is like just unthinkable back like 10, 20 years ago, like having something like this with the amount of support from online classes to uh, a private Slack community, like you have all these resources to, to find a group of people that are able to help you mm -hmm. get, the, get the attention that you need to... Yeah. And, well, and I want to speak to like the cost of the course, because um, I know that that can be a, a big barrier for folks. And I definitely don't want to deny that. And like, um, it's, you know, we used to charge a lot less for the course. And what we came to realize is like, we can't do this work without trying to, you know, like we have to get paid in some way. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, cost of eating disorder treatment can be upwards of $2,000 a day. Um, so yeah, exactly. And not that this is a replacement for medical treatment. I am not saying that, but we are offering a lot of knowledge and skills and community support um, that might support somebody in a similar way or perhaps even fill some of the gaps that medical treatment can't fill. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, something to think about if you are struggling, you are worth the investment. And also we're here if it's just absolutely not possible. We want to work with you and support you in whatever ways we can. So reach out. Yeah. And if you best way, if they want to reach out to you is the everybody is beautiful project.com, right? One word. You can do that. Yep. Um, you can also reach out to us at opheliasplace.org. I know it's kind of confusing um, that there's two, but Ophelia's Place is the 501c3. Everybody's beautiful project is kind of like our, um, our, community call to action. So that's um, one way to get involved from more of like the awareness and advocacy standpoint. Um, but you can reach us in either place. You can also reach us at director at opheliasplace.org um, via email if that's easier. And Ophelia's Place, just to reiterate, also tied to Cafe 407. Correct. It is a non-for-profit cafe. All the donations go to Ophelia's place, uh, which is really uh, look at this a resource hub you guys have. Five ways to support a loved one. Like this is a lot of great information that you guys are are giving out to people. We hope so. That's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. What what form of fundraising has been the most successful for you guys? Whether it be the cafe, period, or uh, I know you do have a. a telephathon that you're doing coming up is there one particular thing that you've done for fundraising that's the most successful oh uh, the question of the century um fundraising is always hard like just yeah. very transparent um 
fundraising is always hard. <laughs> and like that is why the cafe exists in part because it is one of the most sustainable ways to fundraise. Um, you know, it's it's aside from things like COVID or severe weather, like it's pretty reliable and predictable in terms of income. Um, so that's been huge for us. Pre-COVID, the cafe supported about 35% of Ophelia's Place's annual budget. Um, so then we'd seek the other 65% from private donations, grants, um, fundraisers, that kind of thing. Um, Post-COVID, it's more like 20%. So we still have about 80% 80, 80 of our annual budget to fill via private donations, fundraisers. Things like the course help to make up some of that. Um, yeah, it's all it's, it's all interesting to be like, hey, I want to work for a, a nonprofit. Holy cow. Now I'm running a, a cafe. <laughs> and many other things. <laughs> yeah, and many other things. Right. Like your your role at the cafe is almost like a restaurant manager. Not really. So Donna's our cafe manager. My role is really to support her. So Julia and I definitely do handle some of the like administrative things just to kind of take some of that off of her plate. I do help out here and there when we're short staffed. Um, I help with training staff just because, you know, usually at that point we are short staffed and Donna's got her hands full. So I kind of help out as needed and then help with more like leadership stuff. Okay. Because I'm like, trying to imagine your role right now. And you said you wear many hats and that's how real estate's the same way. I feel like I got a, a top hat, a beanie, then I have a flat brim cap on, then I have a 10 gallon hat on. So yeah. I like, I can't imagine like the, the vast difference of going from like, Hey, we got to do fundraising effort. Holy crap. I got to order more flour so we can make our biscuits. Like, like I can't yeah, luckily I don't do too much of the food ordering, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of, it's basically that, right? Like I'm going to do this interview and then I'm going to hop off this call and run a webinar. And then I'm going to hop off of that call and go back to planning the fundraiser. And then I'm going to hop off of that call and field some emails for presentation requests. And yeah, right, it's a lot, right. but it's so just like one thing after another that you're, and you're doing so many different things just to spread the word of, of Ophelia's place and all the good stuff that you guys do. I think it's, uh, I think it's super important. Um, I had a, one more question and now, now this <coughs> is there anything that you want to plug or anything that you want to talk about or anything that we didn't touch on? No, I mean, I think we covered a lot of bases. This was great. I think definitely if you're struggling or even if you're just curious you can reach out at opheliasplace.org um we would love to see you in the course that we talked about i think it's just it's an awesome space to like build some more awareness education skills community around all of the things that we talked about today so those would be my two plugs the website and then the course well cool thank you uh thank you a lot for doing this i really appreciate you taking the time especially in between appointments, not <laughs> jamming you in like a the middle of a sandwich over here. Between where one I, drive. <laughs> I know I'm the same way, Holly. Like I gotta, the busier I am, the better my mental health is. But when I got nothing going on, I feel t -t terrible. <laughs> you might want to dig into that. <laughs> I know, I know, hundred percent, hundred percent. That's that is honestly one of. I think that's my my toxic trait is that we like when I'm when I'm laying down, I'm always like, you should be doing something right. There's the inner dialogue in my voice. Like you should be doing something right now. Are you working right now? What are you doing? Come on, let's go. Be my the business. I went from. Mechanism. Yeah. No, like you're probably right. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> no, you're probably right. But I, I went from a, a career in retail where it was like, you clock in, you work 45 or whatever hours, then you go home. And I didn't have to think about it. Now I work in real estate where it's like my days are all over the place. And if I'm not working, like sending out, like prospecting for the day or reaching out to people, then I don't make money that way. Right. Yeah. So it's like, there's always that voice in my head. It's like, Hey, did you do what you do today? Come on. Mm -hmm. Hey, what are you doing today? And Holly, you're probably right. Probably a coping mechanism, but that's, it's that's coping, a subject for another also, podcast. <laughs> it's, it's coping, but it's also like survival. Like yeah. <laughs> your ability to have a roof over your head and put food on your table comes down yeah. to your work because we live yeah. in capitalism. And so like yeah. not to get too 
Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um yeah, like that's I gotta sell more doing. houses so I can buy more monster trucks for Ashton. That's that's the issue. <laughs> kid loves monster trucks. Did your kids are your kids like clung on to anything? Right now it's princess dresses, which you can princess imagine. dresses? I don't yeah. And yeah. that's a thing. I don't Holly, I'm not a car person. I'm not a monster truck person. So I have no idea. You're a Dungeons and Dragon person. Yeah. I look at behind me. I have a freaking there's a Pokemon right there. That's Zapdos. So like I, I'm a freaking giant ass nerd and he is so mechanical. He knows bucket trucks and construction vehicles like I never did. You know? I just don't get it. They're they're hilarious. I love it. I'm here for it. Well, hey, once again, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. And I look forward to raising a little bit of money uh, in May for you guys. Thank I think you. it'll be a, a fun time. We're so excited and we're so grateful. Yeah, likewise. Uh, Holly Lowry, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for watching this episode of the Corey Cast. I really appreciate the time that you spent listening and even listening to the full episode to get you to this point. I just want to say I'm just so appreciative and so thankful that I have so much love and support for these episodes. If you want to be a guest on this podcast, reach out to me. I'm always looking for new people. Let's talk about what you're passionate about. Let's talk about your hobbies. Let's give you a positive platform to talk about the things that matter to you. Do me a favor. Make sure you hit subscribe, like, follow, leave a review of the podcast. All those little things will help this podcast grow because without you guys, there is no podcast and I am just so grateful that you're taking the time to listen to it today. Thank you so much.